The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds, smart investing starts here. Hello, and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who found that point in their lives to throw all caution aside and just go for it. The genesis of this podcast is based on the great appreciation for the lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King and their world-changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place for advisors to come and grow their minds and businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. And our guest today is David Lyon, who's the CEO and founder of Orange. Hi, David. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good. How are you? Doing great. We are in Chicago today, and it's a rainy Chicago day, but being in Chicago is always awesome. And you grew up here. I did. I did. I grew up here, and this is only the 47th day rain we've had so far this summer, so um, we're, we're pretty used to it. It's, it's, it's not been a great one, so sorry that you had to come into our city under these circumstances. That's great. It's always nice to be here. So you grew your current business inside an advisory. So how yes. does that work? And tell us about that. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I started and ran my own RIA. And, you know, just like probably many of your listeners, you know, had big aspirations of, of growing and, and becoming you know, a, a multi-billion dollar RIA. And, you know, kind of noticed some trends in my business and some kind of ultimately some obstacles that I wanted to solve for, right? And, and that was, it was largely kind of all items kind of hitting my front office. And so everything from, you know, connecting with my existing clients, um, quarterly reviews, annual reviews, intermittent touches with them, um, and also connecting with prospective clients. So on the client service side with my existing clients, they were um, busy professionals, um, you know, in, in kind of the, the upper echelon, the kind of the ultra, ultra high net worth investor realm. Um, so just getting on their calendar was tough. You know, it was kind of my general kind of rule of thumb. I want to meet with my clients in person. I want to see, you know, what their reactions are to the questions that I ask to them. And I want to be able to adjust our plan accordingly and identify new areas of opportunity for them. And it was just hard to get in touch with them. And I really felt like, you know, technology could serve uh, a purpose within, you know, helping facilitate that relationship, just like it does in many other industries and many other purposes. But, um, you know, these were busy professionals that, you know, didn't have time to sit down and review the performance um, with me. And they're just like, I check the box. I trust you. Tell me when something goes wrong which is absolutely the worst time that you ever want to talk to a client. You want to talk to them when things are going well, so you can continue to try to help them make those smart decisions. So that was really where I envisioned Orange being a conduit between my business and my clients and allowing them to reach out to me when they had a need, um, but also letting me monitor basically their net worth and balance sheet to make sure the decisions that they were making were in alignment with the goals that we had set out at the beginning of the year. So that was that was kind of the starting point for Orange. 
soap company was born. And these were all your ideas to create this thing that's here today. Yes. Yeah. And, and from the napkin to Amazon web services, right. Um, it, the, many of them were my ideas. Um, uh, some of them were really good ideas in the beginning. Some of them were bad ideas that are no longer in our application. <laughs> so right. you can look at it and say like, well, those are some really good ideas, but there are also a lot of really bad ones that were maybe in the, the initial version of orange. But, um, once I hired some really professional technologists, they helped me make better decisions than that. So, so the company's grown substantially and it's a technology company, but what's the differentiation for you? Is it still a technology or is it the people that implement and design and do all that stuff? Yeah, I, uh, it, we are 100% in the people business. People build software, people build companies, people build relationships with the advisors that we serve, right? And so, I mean, uh, my CTO and head of product probably won't love to hear this, but it's not as much about the technology as it is the people, um, you know, and that's, I think, the most important aspect to, to what we're doing at Orange. We have a, we have a saying we didn't invent this saying, we adopted it from somebody, um, but, you know, culture eats strategy, right? You could, you could have the greatest strategy on paper, right? If you don't have really smart people who can get things done, um, it doesn't matter, right? It's, it's just, it, you have a nice playbook, right? But you got to get on the field and actually execute it, right? And, uh, and sometimes you have to improvise, right? So, uh, I, just kind of back to your kind of original question. It's all about the people. Right. So, but you're going about this very differently in our industry is you're kind of offering the baseline software for free. Yes. So let's talk about that a little bit and how that, how that's working. Yeah. I, I you know, um, from all indications right now, it's working great. Um, but, um, time will tell, right? I mean, we've, uh, implemented kind of this freemium model uh, where we're going on almost two years and uh, it's been really well received by uh, advisors um, and you know I, I think we're, we're ultimately really I think trying to address some pain points within the industry and it's not just related to what does your software do what are the features how does it work right but what does it actually mean for somebody's business and you know, I'd love to take more credit than we probably deserve, but this has been done wildly successfully, you know, many, many other industries, right? And we're just looking to kind of apply, uh, apply that to our industry, right? Because we think that there's, you know, businesses out there that are either priced out of using the best software, right? Or, um, you know, there's, there's, other businesses that just haven't had the time to actually adopt the software themselves, right? And so we just, we want to take those things off the table, right? And, you know, from a time perspective, that's like one of, in my opinion, uh, one of the biggest impediments for, you know, any, any business to use new software, right? Is the cost of switching or adopting new and, you know, we don't want that to be an impediment. We know that all of the advisors that we serve and many that we don't 
um, all have to prioritize what's important to their business at any given point in time. And so if that means that they want to sign up for Orange and start using it, but haven't, haven't really devoted the time to fully implement it in their business, that's okay, right? Our service team is there to help them when they need it, right? Just in the same way that the advisor is there to help their clients when they need it, right? So not really a form concept, right? Companies like Adobe and Evernote and Dropbox and Google and the list goes on have all implemented this model very successfully, right? And, you know, giving people a baseline of products and services for free, right? And then they can pay for what they want to use above that, right? And, and that's kind of really simply what, what we're doing. Has the advisor warmed up to technology over the last 10 years? Or is it, is it still an adoption thing and a misunderstanding of what it can do for their practices? Or are you finding as we get further along, they're, they're adopting more and more? I mean, I, I think there's different ways you can measure that. Um, it, I, you know, one is, is if you looked at the amount of technology vendors, software providers like us, that are out there building software and running businesses to provide advisor software. I mean, I, I don't know what the multiple on that is, but there's way more than when I was in active practice. We'll just put it that way. Uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of companies that are serving, call it the independent advisor, broker dealer marketplace. So I think that that has to be an indication that advisors are adopting more technology. I think that that breeds new challenges for them, which is now I got to log into 11 things, right, to, to run my business. But, you know, each of those providers has a very specialized niche and it's kind of somewhat of a, of a different approach. You're seeing a lot of these like little micro features come out as software that advisors can license. Um, and from our perspective, you know, you can make your job more complex and time consuming, right? Or you can actually simplify it and get down to kind of ultimately what's the real value of why I'm being hired mm -hmm. or what I'm, what's, what's actually the real value of the service that I'm providing to my clients, right? And sometimes having a closet full of software features can convolute that a little bit. Right. And something that we kind of say, talk about internally is like, well, what are, what's the real value proposition of an advisor? Why are they being hired? Why aren't they just going to Merrill Edge or one of these other types of programs? And it's really, it's about the relationship, right? It's about the customization, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's about tangible aspects of what it means to work with somebody regarding your financial plan, your investment objectives, things of that nature, right? Things that can't be captured, right? Through a risk tolerance questionnaire. Um, so that's why people hire advisors, right? They want some level of customization. They want to have some level of trust. They want to have some higher level of service, right? And so let's help the advisor own those three things and, and help them spend less time in the back office and more time in the front office, right? And that's kind of ultimately you know, what our goal is and, and what our mission is. Again, a technologist talking about a people business. Yeah, yeah. I, if you'd call me a technologist, right? Um, I, I, 
I've, I've learned to become one, um, but there, there's, there's a lot of really talented people in our office that uh, have a way higher tech IQ than I do, but it, it, it really works out. And, and I love working with technologists because they're very creative people and they have a great approach to problem solving that I think, uh, no offense to, to folks on the investment side, but you know, investment professionals, problem solving is somewhat limited right, in, in terms of how they can solve problems. I, I'm one of those people, so I'm, I'm calling myself out. But, um, you know, the, the technologists are, are really kind of the, the artists. Uh, I, I, like, I really liken technologists to, to artists, whether they're painters or musicians or whatever. Um, and, you know, as our company has grown and we brought more technologists and, you know, software professionals into our company like i mean you can see it in our product right you can see the creativeness that goes into really creating a world-class user interface or really beautiful workflows right that take an advisor from constructing a portfolio to actually trading and rebalancing it all the way through right and everything that happens in between that you know setting and changing of goals and so i love to take any type of credit for that but i can't right there there's just there's a whole bunch of really talented people in our office that have taken a vision and really made it their own so you've been in the industry for quite a while now what do you think the current state of the industry is and and where is it going and what concerns you concern is a strong word um I, i think it's exciting i think it's exciting because i think on one hand there's a ton of challenges uh, in our industry, but there's also a ton of opportunities. And, you know, I think when it, when, when you look at the, the high level from, you know, let's just take fees right across the board, right? Whether they're the advisor's fees, the custodian's fees, the asset manager's fees, um, you name it. We've seen fee compression happening at the asset manager level for quite some time. We're starting to see, be, I'd say, elimination at the custodial level. And I'll actually denote that to say on the retail side of the business, where a lot of uh, a lot of custodians or institutions are really kind of eliminating trading fees, right? And there's only a matter of time before it's, it's got to come to the institutional side of the business. And that's largely because I'm really passionate about independent advisors having been one and having built a business to support them. But they, uh, it, it, it's almost getting to be like less attractive to do business with an independent advisor than it is with a wirehouse rep. And that, that's got to change. It's got to change if the custodians that support these independent advisors want to continue that business, right? Um, so the fees, um, I definitely see that there's going to be a compression or elimination of trading fees uh, on the institutional side. And then, you know, I mean, I think the jury's still out on, you know, what advisor's fees look like. But, you know, when you look out there across the landscape, advisor's fees right now really haven't been that effective. Um, They've been influenced somewhat by some of the low cost solutions kind of on the direct investor side. Um, but it's just a really interesting time to think about all the different dynamics that are like price, structure, value proposition. You know, I think ultimately, 
you know, those changes in our industry is, is ultimately the end consumer being the investor, right? And we haven't seen this much uh, almost turnover within business model, right? Pricing, structure, value prop um, in our industry for a really long time. So, I, you know, I think the, the industry is definitely in a, in a state of change um, and pretty dramatic change. And, you know, I, I think our industry always loves to ask, well, who do you think the winner's going to be? I don't think the winner's going to be really any one particular institution other than I hope it's going to be the investor, right? Because I believe that the investor largely in our country goes unserved, right? We do a really good job of serving the top 10% in our country. And, you know, the other 90% are basically do-it-yourselfers that, you know, underperform the benchmark dramatically, pretty much on an annual basis. Do you think the investor is going to change as the boomers fade away and a new person who's used to looking at their phone every 10 seconds comes along? And how's that going to change the industry? I think, I think that if I understand what you're saying, how are, how are, how is the younger, going to change? How's the younger generation investor going to change? Our industry, yeah, um, definitely service model, right? Uh, the the next gen investor is not going to sit in somebody's office for ninety minutes going over a thirty four page quarterly review, yeah, right. Um, so the service model, I think, has to become more dynamic and fluid. And fluid's a weird word, right, to talk about what we're talking about, but uh, when you think about fluidity, it's it's more about how people live their lives, right? Uh, than it is about like a quarterly review, right? Our industry has done a great job at architecting a business model, being the financial advisory model um, that services clients like their quarterly earnings report, right? But their lives change all the time. You know, you, in between your quarterly reviews. Your, your child might have gotten into Harvard and you really weren't planning that he or she would get into Harvard and now you're going to pay $80,000 a year for something and you don't want to tell your child, no, I'm sorry, honey, you worked really hard, you got into Harvard, but bad news is, is that I can't pay to get you there, right? And that, that's when people make bad financial decisions. And so having that fluidity and servicing clients as their needs arise, right, at least puts you in a better place to be making smarter short-term financial decisions that have long-term implications. So let's change it up a little bit and, and talk about this wonderful city and growing up here. What was, what was that like? It was, it was great. I, you know, I mean, growing up, you don't know any different. Yeah. Um, but uh, love growing up in Chicago and um, grew up in a suburb just north of Chicago and had a pretty kind of suburban, uh, you know, upbringing. You know, on Saturday, we would go off on our bikes and not see our parents for 12 hours and then come home and, and do all that. But, uh, you know, as you got older, you you start to look more at the city and you're like, oh, well, I got, I got a little piece of freedom today, right, where I just got my driver's license. Now, what can I do with that? Right. It was get on Lakeshore Drive and drive to Chicago and, you know, go see a Cubs game. It's a great place to grow up. Yeah, what were some of the influences that you 
can remember about growing up here? I mean, are you, I'm assuming you're talking about good influences, right? Because there's also the other side of that. <laughs> all those, yeah, all those things make us us, right? Right, right. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, growing up, I had a lot of friends. I grew up, I call myself an athlete, but, you know, I was mediocre at best. Um, but a lot of my friends were athletes and they were hard workers and they were disciplined. And, and so I'd like to think that that had, you know, um, you know, some, some part of my upbringing. Um, but you know, it was really my dad, my dad still to this day, uh, he passed away 13 years ago, but still to this day is the hardest working person I've ever met in my life, you know, focused, you know, I, I can't ever remember going on vacation where he didn't get these giant FedEx packages sent to wherever we were. And I'm like, how are you going to get through all that next day? He's like, got through it all. Right. And so I think a lot of it was his influence. I definitely get my work ethic from him. And, you know, that's, that was a, a really big influence in my life. And even personally, you can, when you get to a certain age, you can look back at conversations that you've had with your parents. You're like, oh, now I know what they meant, right? And I can remember I was part of a rec league basketball team. I think I was like in the fourth, fifth grade. And we're driving home from a game on a Sunday. My dad said to me, he's like, are you sure you, you still really are into this basketball thing? And I'm like, no, dad, I love it. And, you know, Michael Jordan, and being, you know, I mean, this was a, this was it for me, you know, and uh, he was right. I'm, you know, five foot ten at best. Uh, I could maybe jump over a Sunday paper today, but um, the, the the influence that he had on me there, which was kind of like, hey, you know, really evaluate kind of what you're good at and focus in on that, right? And trying to like focus in on something that you might be mediocre at best. So. You know, I think he helped, you know, shape me personally and professionally with, with some of those things. I look back on, on those conversations all the time. Yeah. So this being the Permission to Succeed podcast, what gave you the right to think as an advisor you could create a software that was going to be so successful? I mean, well, I, I mean, success is a totally relevant term because, you know, it, it changes every day, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and, and I don't think that, I mean, I, I think we're, we've, we've been successful to date, you know, and if you walked into our office, everybody in our office would have the bar set much, much higher than where we're at today. So I just put that out there as a disclaimer. Um, the answer to your question is, is uh, total, uh, total ignorance. Like, like be, I hate to, be on a podcast and talking and give you a Steve Jobs quote, right? Everyone loves to quote the great Steve Jobs, but you know, I mean, he said it best. It, just be foolish, right? I mean, it doesn't mean throw caution to the wind and don't have a plan and don't do all those types of things. But um, you know, I think uh, sometimes just kind of going out there and doing it, right, and not giving up is like ninety percent of the battle, right? Um, so not, not the most educated, you know, business school type answer that you can get, but you know, it's, it's, it's going out there having a passion for something and just jumping in and do it. 
Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a young guy, so this sounds like an old guy question, but what do you still want to do? Um, I want to, I still, I want to continue to build a business that gives people uh, opportunities uh, that they, that they can't get anywhere else. That's, that's like, that's my guiding light. Like if I can do that, everything else is going to take care of itself. Right. Yeah. So for, for any other struggling entrepreneur out there that may be deciding whether to go for it or not, what advice might you have for them? That's a really good question. I think it's, I think it comes more down to really be true to what you're trying to accomplish and what's driving you to do that. Right. And I say that because I, you know, in, the, the, the little while I've been doing this, you meet a lot of entrepreneurs and they all have, you know, great mission statements that, you know, but it's like, is that really why they're doing this? I mean, you can't fake that, right? You, you, you've got to really believe in that because it's hard. You're going to have more bad days than good, right? And you got to be okay with that. you got to be okay to say, hey, I, out of the 10 last, the last 10 business days, I had two good days. Like you have to go home and you have to feel good about that. That it's not part of human nature, right? Mm-hmm. To feel good about batting 200, right? You want to bat a thousand, but you know, that's not realistic either. Right. But batting 500 is also not realistic to, to starting your own business. 300 gets you in the hall of fame. 300 gets you in the hall of fame. Um, 200 means that you're doing a lot of the right things, right? And I think it's it's that almost reverse psychology uh, of telling yourself that failure is actually a step close to succeeding than the other way around, right? And and it takes a long time to to get comfortable with that. So, well, thank you so much for being with us today. It was Absolutely. a pleasure. Great. Um, for everyone at irish.xyz and the Permission is to Seed production team, this is Doug Heikinen. Thank you so much for joining us. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds. Smart investing starts here.